Welcome to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, where we reverse engineer the success of fast-growing SaaS firms and explore strategies CMOs and CEOs are using to drive their businesses forward. Welcome to SaaS Backwards, a podcast that helps SaaS CMOs and CEOs accelerate growth and enhance profitability. Our guest today is Jim Sharp. Jim is the CEO of Eventry, a SaaS that serves large-scale event organizers and enterprises that hold their own events. Hey, Jim, welcome to the podcast. Before we dig in too deep, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and Eventry. Well, hey, Ken, thanks for having me on the show here and congrats on the success of the podcast thus far. It's uh, great to be here. I guess a brief background on myself, at least professionally speaking, I joined Eventry in uh, January of 2020, obviously interesting timing given all that's gone on. But going backward a little bit, um, I spent much of my career leading technology and and software businesses. I spent uh, a combined 12 years at GLG, which is a pioneer in the expert network space, uh, running their largest business unit, which was a little bit north of 200 million before coming into Eventry. A couple quick reasons why I ended up here. Eventry is a, uh, a very interesting space that I'll talk about in a minute, um, but it's a space that's going through a lot of technology transition underway, which I thought was an exciting place to be. Also, was a company that was very well established in its market, but had some work to do to uh, further capitalize on the opportunity. And you know, lastly, was backed by some really impressive private equity investors that I thought would make great partners in in diving in. So here we are. You know, you picked a great time to get into the event management technology space. So you joined Eventry in uh, January, and then something like seven weeks later, things changed a little bit in your business, huh? That's definitely the truth. And I think I'll, if you don't mind for a minute, I'm going to walk you through what, what Eventry does just for everybody to have an update there. So Eventry is a leading SaaS provider for event management. What we do is we power about 90,000 events a year from 1,400 different leading enterprises. This encompasses their meetings and events up and down the chain within their businesses. We also have a large on-site services and technology business that goes to the world's largest trade shows. We solve major problems that event planners and marketing executives face. Some of those problems include moving their events and meetings programs from manual solutions to point solutions to fully integrated solutions like Eventry. We also help people execute seamless virtual and hybrid events across different formats. And lastly, we provide a lot of uh, expertise in terms of data and analytics back to the marketing executive to help understand the ROI of their events and track their attendees through the journey. So we're a company that's about 50 million top line, 250 employees or so, just sort of framing a, a bit about who we are. To your point, Ken, it was a very interesting time to join. January 2020, I came in ready to go, started my 100-day plan, and you know what could go wrong? Well, you so, had a plan. Yeah, we, we had a plan. And we had just formulated our leadership charter in terms of who we were going to be as a leadership team. I formulated a three-part mandate. The first part there was finding strategic clarity in the business. And this is a theme I hope to revisit today as we speak. It's a business that had been distracted in certain ways and needed that clarity. The second was creating a culture of excellence and transparency in the business. And then third was finding operating leverage in in the company uh, as it grew. And so those were the three-part mandates and we got off to a good start. And I think the one thing that we did solidify, Ken, was that we renewed our focus on the enterprise customer. And that focus has powered us throughout all that's occurred this year. So six weeks in, of course, phone rings, and we start to realize that uh, some changes afoot uh, in our market. You know, the first phone call I had was about a dispute over whether our team 
was allowed to wear masks at an event that was occurring in uh, late January, early February. That turned out to be the smallest problem of the year. And then when uh, Mobile World Congress was canceled, which is a huge event that takes place in Barcelona, we have a large presence there. When that event was canceled, it set off a shockwave across the events business. And we knew that it was going to be a rough sledding for a while. And what we saw from there was 70% drop in registration volume across our system. It's pretty significant. We had 100 or so clients ask for an extension in their contracts right out of the gates. And obviously, market participants were running scared, losing their jobs and everything else. So it was a very unique time in the market. Powerful forces at work, almost all of them out of your control. Yet, you know, you really have a business to run still. We're still in the mess of the pandemic. But I think it's sort of interesting to reflect back on what the response was of you and your team to the dramatic change in the events business and how you managed to maintain some consistency with the plans that you were starting to lay. I think that's important to kind of take a look at. So maybe walk us through the crisis response plan and kind of what happened as a result. Yeah, happy to. And it feels like years ago at this point, just because of the uh, the pace of change over the past year. But looking back, we were obviously right in the center of the target for COVID and the impact on our industry. So we had a lot to deal with. In terms of our response plan and how we we tackled it, I'm pretty happy with what we did in retrospect. The first thing that I remember putting in place was a robust communication plan internally and externally that benefited us. So the for example, we started doing test shutdowns of our offices pretty much unannounced on a few hours notice to tell the team we were going virtual that day to see whether or not we could hold up under virtual operating. And the good news was we could. We were relatively distributed to begin with, so that was a good thing. We started doing a lot of team communication, written updates, town halls, and I was trying to borrow some of the tactics I saw on TV, actually, in the early days of the pandemic about sort of very open, candid Q&A discussions with my teammates around what was going on. Uh, Some of those discussions were very difficult, but I think that helped everybody feel like at least we could trust each other and that we were doing the best we could to navigate this. So there's a lot of internal communication, and some of that was very difficult. We actually shifted our investor cadence as well in that I went to weekly board meetings, which a lot of people would probably uh, not enjoy, but we went down to basically a bite-sized weekly board meeting where we could each week update the numbers, which were moving around in a crazy manner. Uh, We could face reality and come up with scenario planning through that. And so that helped me align with my investors. Actually, to this day, I still have bi-weekly board meetings. And then lastly, Ken, on that front, the communication side was a focus on the external communication, becoming a voice of stability in the market. We were fortunate that we had private equity backing that allowed us to access capital. And therefore, we we made sure that we were showing up at industry events and putting out content. So communication was a big piece. You know, Another big piece was scenario planning. So our best case scenario was a May recovery from last year. Uh, pretty, pretty comical at this point to think of a two, two-month recovery, but I think we were all hopeful. We had an August recovery and we had a spring 2021 recovery scenario. And guess which one we're, we're living in now? So worst case scenario plays out, but the the good news is we've actually performed so much better than we thought because of some of the pivots we made. But I think that scenario planning allowed us to act early. And if there's anything that I think helped position us this year uh, was the fact that we faced reality early. We made reductions where we need to, making smart cost management decisions out of the gates and got efficient and got nimble. Fortunately, we have a very outstanding team here. So as we had to downsize our team a bit, what remained were just an all-star team of employees that could help us deliver And I think facing that reality early gave us a lot of optionality. And that's when we started leaning forward, right? Once the survival mode was addressed, we started saying, okay, how do we capitalize on what's going on now? And with that strategic focus on the enterprise, which we never abandoned, 
we started talking to the market about what they need. And that's what started to create the pivot that we had underway in the form of moving into virtual. But there's a lot that you've covered here. It's the first time I've heard of a weekly board meeting. And I think that's an interesting response to a crisis scenario that might be worth just putting a pin on for folks. So increasing the frequency with which you communicated with your investors allowed them probably to have a lot more comfort with what you were doing and also buy-in. I mean, ultimately they had to buy in, but they, they had buy-in because it wasn't like they were hearing from you every 60 or 90 days when the world was changing by the day. You sink a bunch of time into having weekly board meetings, but what we did was we went to a templated way of doing it so that we weren't recreating the wheel every week, but it allowed us to create, to have the important information that we needed to make decisions. And a lot of that was around the numbers, which by the way, week to week would move around three, five, $10 million. It was crazy, (laughs) but you were doing the best you could and you had to have it rooted in good analysis. And I think that from that perspective, I don't think you can operate in this environment without a strong foundation of trust with your investors. I'm very lucky in that I ended up here because I knew one of the private equity firms that was an investor in this business, which helped bring this uh, this role together. But I think you had to have that strong foundation of trust. You need to pick the right partners, of course, too. I've heard bad stories about what other people have gone through if they didn't have the right investors here. But I think that that frequent communication and that scenario planning gave us the ability to prove that we knew how to survive. And when you have proven that you know how to survive and you can face reality I think it gives the investors the confidence that they can invest with you in the future and capitalizing on it. And I know I had talked to numerous private equity firms who said that some of their CEOs refused to face reality. And because these were horrible decisions to make on the fly, what everyone was going through. But the reality was you had to protect the rest of the company and the rest of the employees of the company by making some of these decisions. And I think our ability to do that early, we actually made sort of two big moves, two big adjustments. I think that put us in a position to start to have bigger conversations with them around where we were going. I just had my most recent board meeting yesterday, and we're still using essentially the same template. You know, now it's a lot lighter. We're still in this. It's far more based on the successes we're enjoying as a business than it is about day-to-day scenario planning. So to that point, I'm proud of what we put in place with uh, our investor base to increase communication at the board level. There's one other thing in there that I thought was um, important was the idea of scenario-based planning. And you know, when we talk with advisors to SaaS firms, a lot of times we hear they don't even have a really solid plan, like the mainline plan. So the idea that you came at it with scenarios, I think probably very valuable in building the bridge with the investors, that they could see what the possibilities might be. And so when the worst, you know, the spring 2021 plan needed to be, at least everybody knew that months ago, right? Yeah, there was no surprises there. And, and everybody was well aware of what the quote unquote worst case scenario would look like. Again, we're, we're lucky in that we've performed and executed a lot better than that. But but yeah, having that out on paper, you know, the, the worst case scenario at the time provided a pretty a pretty dark outlook for the business. But at the same time, uh, it was reality. And, and it let everybody know what we might be facing here. And it it tied top line to bottom line and even cash real time about what, what the, the needs of the business would be. And it was tied to assumptions that were laid out very clearly. So we could say, hey, here's the renewal rate of the business. Here's what our on-site services business would look like in each of these scenarios. We obviously don't have a crystal ball, so we don't know what is right, but it helped us zero in on those three scenarios. And we revised our plan in terms of how we held ourselves accountable at the executive level. And that plan was based on uh, those scenarios. Awesome. In response to the pandemic, then, there were changes in the business model. We're living and dying with online events. 
And obviously that's now your lifeblood for a little bit. Now we've sort of talked about the planning response with the board and investors, but what does it look like from a product, you know, customer engagement, customer success point of view? You know, what became an imperative for you in terms of pivoting the company around the new reality? Yeah, we we have our customers to thank for the pivots we made uh, in the business and made a commitment to continuing to focus on the enterprise. And what I mean by that is, you know, not going upstream above that or downstream below that in ways that distracted us. And so we were focused on a specific end market or set of customer types that and use cases that have helped the company grow to where it is. So what we did as things were falling apart in the market, we we went back to them and we asked them what they thought and we asked them where they were going. And we surveyed hundreds of customers and prospects. We found some interesting statistics. 89% of them said out of the gates in the survey we ran that virtual was going to be the wave of the near and medium term future. I said, okay, that's interesting and that's powerful. We also had 80% of them saying that they expected a future where when things went live again, that virtual would remain a component of the event stack. So we thought that was very interesting. We took that data and we went to our customer innovation council, which is a quarterly that we hold with some of our customers. And we talked through that and it helped us solidify a thesis that what we need to do with a long-term view of hybrid events and what the enterprise would need when things settle down in the future. So we got to work on that. And the first step we took actually was uh, a short-lived one, but we partnered with a few virtual-only providers that we were basically funneling business to them. And what we found was that it was difficult to keep incentives aligned. We couldn't guarantee the same level of service. So concurrently, we launched our own Skunk Works project to build a virtual event platform. And uh, it was built on customer feedback. Many of our customers didn't know what they wanted. Many of our customers knew they just had to get a virtual event up online in the next five days or whatever it was. But as everybody started to get a better feel for what the, the capabilities were, we started to formulate what our beta would look like. And so we we went in nights and weekends mode. We we actually had daily check-ins seven days a week for three months with our teams in the morning. And it was global check-in. Uh, and that was advancing the product down the field towards some very tight deadlines. I think that that sprint is what allowed us to pivot. Remember, we weren't virtual event people. We had created live events. So building a virtual event technology of our own on top of our platform was not an easy feat. And we did it. But a lot of it just came down to the aggression and the, the hustle that we had. So that effort basically got us up to the, the beta release in June. And you know, I can talk more about where we are today, but that's essentially the, the genesis of how we got to building our own virtual event technology. So out of this crisis was born some real product innovation. And it sounds like also the Crucible helped you build your team too. Yeah. Again, I went back to, we're very lucky to have the talented team that we did. It's a very flexible team. And I think part of the reason we're so flexible is because we are a very broad integrated platform, which means we have many different products that we have integrated together. Things like seating, things like email marketing tools, website design tools. So that allowed us to be pretty agile in the way that we, we developed this. So those check-in meetings were actually cross-department as well. So you had members of the sales team, customer success team, chiming in from across the business to make sure we were developing things properly as it pertained to pricing and look and feel of the product and the features that we provided. And that really allowed us to get to beta. And then the beta phase, we took those initial features and then leveraged the beta feedback to turn them into the full release, which now allows up to 10,000 attendees in the virtual event, has improved networking capabilities, a good look and feel. So it's a, it's a very impressive somewhat differentiated product in the virtual event space that we put together. But again, keeping in mind that like we are not 
chasing a lot of the hype of the one-off event that we think is going to churn that's out there in the market. We are looking for what event planners want in the future and making sure that as we develop the product, it's tying back to that integrated experience that we've built at Eventry over the years. Awesome. Tell me about your customers and how sticky they've been with you. You know, SaaS companies, we look at churn, we look at growth within accounts. To the extent you want to share how customers are responding to their situation and your new product, how's that look in terms of revenue and retention? Those are important statistics, and there's been some offsetting factors in our market. So what played out tactically is, in, in sort of qualitatively, is that during the uncertainty, our customers came to us and said, you know, we need some sort of extension on our subscription because we're not throwing events. So can you help us? And at that moment in time, everybody was working with each other, you know, landlords and vendors and everybody helping each other out. So we said, sure. And so we extended a lot of that. And what that obviously did was it impacted our ARR in a way and um, our revenue uh, going forward. We also had some cancellations, people that said, you know, we, we're either going out of business or we, we can't keep our event program going. So we faced some churn there. So we're a business that, you know, in normal years is, you know, north of 100% in terms of net retention and far north of that in terms of gross. But obviously it's been impacted. So we've seen probably a call it a 15% dip in our ability to retain customers for the, the time being. Now in Q4, our renewal rate went way up, whereas in Q2 and Q3, it was, it was down. So I think overall, we've always been a company that's on the healthy side of those metrics. I think being right in the forefront of what went on in our industry, we, we got hit like anybody in the market did. And the way that we're kind of offsetting that is through the virtual event growth. So now you have existing customers that are adopting virtual events. You have companies that use other people's virtual events, but consume our software now to do the registration and other things to the point we saw 20% uptick in November year over year in that registration. So things are storming back in terms of our core product usage. And that revenue and bookings growth from virtual is, you know, off into the several millions category now, you know, in just three months. And, um, and that's helping us pave over some of the risk we faced in the core product. Another important point to highlight here is, you know, you took a risk in pivoting the product. You were compelled to do something, but you did take a risk here, bet on virtual events and uh, abandon the partnership model and rolled your own. So big investment, but now you might be in a position to accelerate growth as a result of being able to serve people where they are. That's right. And so one thing we did in the midpoint of the year was we actually did a, a large round of capital um, with our existing investors. Uh, so we went to our board and our investor base, which includes a few private equity funds, and we we did a round of capital that allowed us not only to shore up the business, but allowed us to lean forward. Again, I go back to that sort of, we proved our ability to survive. We gained their confidence. I think it was a great statement to the market when our investors backed us to say, yes, we're betting again on, on events. And that was because we saw this virtual event opportunity coming along. So we didn't abandon what we were focusing on in the core. Uh, there were a lot of improvements to make in the core business and we did that, but we had some extra dry powder now to go out and invest, lean in and hire toward developing the virtual event opportunity. So yeah, that was um, you know a helpful moment in time and did position us to, to lean forward. If you look now at where we are, there's a virtual event bonanza going on right now, and we're making some major sales and marketing investments and product investments in Q1 to get a bigger part of that now that we've been in the market for a quarter. So that's exciting. And we're adding clients every single day, which is great. We feel it's a differentiated offering though, when you talk about what the future looks like. And this goes back to our, our core thesis. We think that when the dust settles and there is a combined world of live and virtual events, you're going to see what's been coined as a, a hybrid model, which is combined elements of both, which is going to offer up new revenue opportunities, new attendance opportunities, a whole new experience for event attendees. And what we're doing is investing toward that. 
And we think when the dust settles, people are going to go back to live events will storm back with a vengeance. I think that virtual events will remain extremely important. And those that can provide both seamlessly are well positioned. So that's really what we're focusing on here is staying focused on that enterprise view. We're certainly looking to add a tremendous number of virtual only customers right now, but we're making sure that those are in verticals and use cases that we think provide longevity uh, to our business. I think that's a really cool point. As you were speaking, I was thinking about, you know, CES, you know, going to be virtual this year completely, but let's look ahead a year where they might still have a hundred thousand or more people go to Las Vegas, but they may have built the infrastructure. And I don't know if they're one of your clients or not, but a large event like that, where maybe they have 50 or a hundred thousand live attendees as, as a norm might be able to multiply their impact with really effective hybrid model, right? This is the stuff I love to talk about. If you think about the commercial side of it, envision that world where there's 50,000 people on the trade show floor and 2 million people that are dialed in through some sort of virtual interface, right? And maybe maybe the person who's dialed in virtually is paying a small fraction of the cost to attend, but they're, they're joining the content that they want and they're attending for different reasons. Think about the revenue streams that opens up for the event host. And then think about the, the sponsorship opportunities as well. You know, it's one thing to put up your booth on an exhibitor floor. It's another to be virtually uh, present in a, uh, a virtual event capacity. We think attendees can decide if they want to go to the first two days of that trade show and then go virtual for the third day. It's going to change the way that people interact. It also ties into networking. We all agree that when we go to a virtual event now, it's pretty flat. People are trying some like speed dating gimmicks and there's some stuff out there and we're, we're releasing some pretty cool networking products right now. But overall, the events are pretty flat and it's difficult to have those actually structured and serendipitous meetings that you enjoy when you go to a live event. So we see a tremendous amount of innovation in the way that mobile is going to be used on the event floor that's going to allow people to hop between the live and virtual event to interact with one another. We're super excited about what this represents. We think that obviously there's going to be some cannibalization of live events, but in our opinion, nothing beats the value of a live event. So that model is going to be strong. And then you're going to see all of these virtual elements kick in, and maybe you're going to have a market that, you know, let's call it today is a trillion dollar market. You're going to have it expand because you're going to have new ways of reaching audiences. So we're very excited about that. That's the fun part. The hard part is how do you actually provide that experience? And that's where we think we're uniquely positioned, but we're also doubling down. I see it as a real opportunity as well. And I also think that people will want to attend live events. There's no doubt about it. It's what we all pine for, right? We miss it. And at the same time, I love that little vignette you painted about, hey, I might go for two days, but of a four-day conference, there might be only a few things that I want to actually see on day three or four, or I just can't be there, but I want to be able to participate in the ways that I can. And also expanding the audience. I mean, if you could get from 50,000 to 500,000 or a million, uh, that's a dramatic change in the proposition for the companies that would exhibit or sponsor, right? Their ability to influence future purchase behavior just got dramatically increased. Exactly. And if, if I can share a couple of quick case studies there. So the case studies I'm going to share are smaller events, you know, single digit thousands. But we had a case where a financial services customer out of the UK saw a 100% increase in the attendance of their usual event because they threw it virtually, right? So big win for them. We saw another example where we had a, a firm throw an event and they had participation from 76 different countries at that virtual event which was a huge increase in the geographic scope of who they could bring to New York for their usual event. That's really playing out. And we've, we have customers that had been paying us, call it you know, low six figures per year that we now expect to move to like the high six figure, low seven figure range with us on an annual basis because they're ramping up their virtual events and they're expecting their live events to get back to business. So I think there's a force multiplier here that's afoot. We're seeing a lot of benefits. Again, we go back to the fact that we think live events are here to stay and that 
nothing beats a live event. So we do expect that to return as soon as it's safe to do so. But we are very excited about what we're seeing so far uh, in the market from the power of the virtual event and what that does to increase the scope. It's interesting. You know, we're, I don't know about you, but I'm sensing a huge amount of optimism looking forward. And almost everybody I've spoken to in the last few weeks has the same kind of energy about all the hard work we put in over the last nine months to kind of survive and innovate and build for a future. And now we're actually, it's almost palpable. We can see the future opening up for us. I'm kind of wondering what that looks like for you in terms of roadmap, things that you might want to talk about in terms of building a product for the future, not just the survival of the last six months. You know, what kinds of things you're doing, if you want to share any of that roadmap here, and also how you're getting the insights to make those product management decisions. It is unique time. I mean, sitting here now a year later after all we've been through and feeling like our TAM is a multiple of what it was last January is an unexpected place to be, I'll say. And so we're fired up for where we sit in that market. As far as our product roadmap, I'm happy to share a few of the things that are on our minds and that we're investing in. We've actually dramatically changed the way we built products this year. And I think that that allowed us to get the virtual product to market. We built a governance structure, committee-based cross-department governance structure that drives strategy top-down and accountability bottoms-up that really allowed us to build products better and in a, in a smart manner. But all of those are very much based on the voice of the customer. So we're continually going to the front lines and talking to what we need. So we're innovating in a, three main areas that I'll talk about. Um, the first one is on the networking side. So we are launching a product now that's coming out of beta called lead, Digital Lead Capture. It is very different from anything in the market. It is not a speed dating type tool. It allows attendees and exhibitors to meet and instantly launch a video chat during a trade show or or virtual event. So if they want to meet each other, um, they go to the the lobby and they can click on a logo and basically it launches a video chat where they can exchange sales materials and their contact info immediately. So it's pretty exciting. It's like visiting a booth at a trade show, essentially. And the exhibitor is able to score that lead and track their overall performance at that show through our technology. So that's phase one. Uh, We're releasing some new chat technologies in February that will allow people to interact more. uh, And we're continuing to innovate in networking. So that's a big area for me. The other pocket I'll talk about is hybrid. So we are currently situated well for hybrid, but we think that we need to continue to dissect that life cycle and understand what are all the connected pieces of a true hybrid event that you need to perform well in. So we're continuing to double down there. We have a big work stream going on there. And then the last thing is, uh, I call it future tech, uh, which is basically, what does the trade show of the future look like? Because we work with the world's largest trade shows, we get to see and hear what they think the future looks like. And there's going to be changes to access control, changes to check-in, changes to safety. And at these shows, and we believe that mobile is going to be a big part of that. So from that perspective, we're making sure that we leave some investment lanes open to double down on on that innovation. And a lot of it is built in partnership with some of these large trade show operators. So it's very much hand in hand with the customer. So those are some of the things that are on our mind. Obviously, we're not abandoning the core. I mean, one thing that's important to our customers is we're continuing to build the stuff that got us here and make it better each and every year. So that's still a large percentage of our roadmap, but uh, we're certainly getting excited about the investments that we get to make this year. That's terrific. I love you know meeting people where they are. It seems like a really great way to go through work and personal life, you know, so it's where they are, where they want to be. We talked at the beginning about strategy, and I know you wanted to circle back to that a little bit. And I think it's a good kind of place maybe to land our conversation is the importance of having strategy 
and how you built it, you know, how you came to the strategy you had, you know, as you joined in the first couple of months in the company, and then how having strategy helped you as you faced, you know, unprecedented change in the business. That's a great question because I, I think that where we are today ties back to some of the work we did very early on. I remember I came into an industry that I didn't know very well and certainly didn't have a lot of time to research it before things got very interesting. So what I'm thankful for is that early on in January of this year of 2020, we had some offsites as a team where we hammered out sort of magic quadrant style where we sat in the market and how we thought we should focus. And that enabled us to realize that despite some of the distractions of recent years through acquisitions and otherwise, we realized that our bread and butter was in making enterprises, doesn't have to be large enterprises, but meaningful enterprises happy uh, in their event program. So we we took that with us throughout the year. And as things got crazy, I mean, I think we've walked through a survival period today. We've walked through sort of a capitalizing period. And now we're leaning forward into the third phase, which is what, what do we do for the future? And that's extremely exciting. And I think all that is tying back to that initial strategy work that we did. As a guiding light, we know that market conditions are going to stabilize eventually. We know that things will be different, but at the end of the day, there's nothing better than the value of a face-to-face event. And so we have to remember what got us here. And when you pivot, like we've pivoted, you want to pivot around your core. You want to pivot around things that you know have helped fuel the business in the past. And so I think that overall, we've remained committed to that strategy throughout the year. It hasn't always been easy to communicate around it because things were changing so quickly, but we wake up a year later and realize that we're far better positioned for that same type of strategy. It's just different. And some of that strategy found us just through the way the world evolved throughout the year. But overall, I think we we walk away proud that we, we've stuck to our strategy. The strategy is very well positioned for what's happening in the future. We, we couldn't feel better about the market opportunity that we have here at Aventry. Well, that's terrific. So if people want to learn more about Aventry, where would you want to guide them? You know, I'm always uh, happy to chat with anybody. So I'm available email, phone, text, whatever works anytime. But I think uh, also we're out there in the marketplace. We have our website, of course, that shares a lot of material. We do um, publish a decent amount of content out there and, you know, learning about Aventry overall, if you're just interested in a spin through the industry, there's plenty of content out there, but, you know, reach out to us directly. If you have any questions, uh, whether it be through me directly or our sales team or a website, we'd be happy to have a chat about everything going on in our market. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jim, for joining us today. It was great to meet you here in the context of the podcast. SAS Backwards is available on Apple and Spotify and as well has been redistributed by a number of podcast directories. You can see me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Ken Lempit. And the uh, agency website is austinlawrence.com. And Jim, your website is aventry, A-V-E-N-T-R-I.com, correct? That is correct. And you can find us on social media as well, uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and otherwise. So excellent. Thank you very much, Ken, for uh, having me on the show today. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, brought to you by Austin Lawrence Group. We're a growth marketing agency that helps SaaS firms reduce churn, accelerate sales, and generate demand. Learn more about us at www.austinlawrence.com. You can email Ken Lempett at kl at austinlawrence.com about any SaaS marketing or customer retention subject. We hope you'll subscribe, and thanks again for listening.